Living Church family. We have the privilege when we gather together to go before God in prayer and to together as one voice, a congregation together, ask God for his grace and his favor to us. So if you would, let's, would you just join me as we now have a prayer petition. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Almighty Father, we together as your people come before you as those who have been entrusted with much. We ask for your help today, O oh God. Father, you have entrusted us with one another in this body of believers. And so we pray for our body today. Father, we pray for our brother Darren Bowman as he's had a surgery this last week on his shoulder, we pray that you would give him strength and healing. Father, as he's had significant pain and difficulty sleeping over the last several days, we pray that you would ease his pain, that the new medication that is on would be effective in giving him rest. Father, we pray that Darren would find peace, especially as he rests in you that he would look to you during this trial. Father, for our sister Sharon Deason, we pray that her recovery from her wrist would go quickly and her wrist surgery would go quickly and smoothly this week. We pray that you would use this procedure to ease the pain that she's had for so long in her wrist. Father, we pray that you would give her new depths of trust in you during this season. Father, we, we pray for our members at large, those who aren't perhaps in a, a health uh, crisis or a, a difficult moment, but whom we're still committed to, to, to pray for one another. Father, we pray for fellow members like Kathy Chang as she works in the county planning office of Palm Beach County this week. We pray that she would do well at being salt and light for King Jesus this week that our sister Kathy would be encouraged with the thought of your return, of Christ's return. Father, we pray for our brother Bob Jensen as he works with the crew that he leads at work, as he cares for Daniel, as he loves and serves Marianne in his home. Father, would you help Bob to live in light of the coming of Jesus Christ every moment this week? Father, we pray for Tate Piercefield. We pray that this week he would be faithful in his work and in the school that's before him. Help him to honor his parents and to love his brother. Help him to desire your word for himself. Help Tate not think that Christ is delayed in coming, but to live faithfully every day this week. Father, these are just a few of many members that we have, and we pray that we would be a church that prays for one another as we care for our body. Father, we pray not just for our church, but we pray for other churches as we are not the only body here in South Florida. We pray for Kendall Baptist Church down in Miami. We pray especially for Pastor Matt Diaz this morning as he preaches from John chapter 3. We pray that he would be filled with your spirit and that he would preach clearly 
that he would rely on your word to do the work in that church, not in his own rhetoric, in his own abilities. Father, we pray for Kendall Baptist. We pray that you would give them a building that they can meet in and that you would provide for their needs as they've made an offer on a building. Father, we pray that you would give favor to that offer. Lord, let that church have a place to meet and be a light to their community around them in Miami and Kendall, we pray. We pray for not just, just for churches here, we pray for them globally. Father, we think of the churches that are in Saudi Arabia today, a land that has very few churches, and many are persecuted actively for their faith. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters in Saudi this morning. We pray that they would look to Jesus Christ who it is coming back for them. Father, now as we, your church, go to your word, we pray that you would guide us. We pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want our lives to be changed more and more, week in and week out, according to your word. So we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes to see. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work to illumine your word unto us. Father, I pray that you would help me, help my words to be fitting for this body. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, December is upon us. The Christmas season is here. Lights are going up. Uh, the tree in Delray is lit. Uh, Sandy, the sand tree is now on display in West Palm, and so many around us are already counting down to Christmas morning, waiting with anticipation for that morning. And in many ways, this anticipation is just so fitting, isn't it? For we Christians celebrate in this season uh, the advent of the Messiah coming to earth and being born. We use this time often as Christians to, to reflect on Christ's arrival and what it must have been like for those who had been waiting so long for this Messiah to finally come, to fulfill the promises that were made. Well, I wonder if you would just imagine for just a moment if you were a Jew living just before the birth of Christ, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, or a faithful follower of God, rather, pardon me. I wonder if you could imagine having heard the promises made long ago from Scripture that eventually a Messiah would come. But hundreds of years had passed and perhaps seemingly little to nothing had happened. Imagine maybe one of your great ancestors had heard firsthand of the prophecies from those great prophets like Isaiah, like we heard Janiso read at the beginning of the service today. But now, as, as you're waiting, maybe you find yourself doubting somewhat, trying to hold on to anticipation that those promises were true, that there would be a Messiah that would come. Well, friends, in Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus did come. After all those years of waiting, he did show up. Uh, but in many ways, we find uh, significant similarities to where we are now. 
to the people of God waiting with anticipation for the coming of Christ. You see, Jesus the Messiah has come, but he's asked us to trust him again with the faith of waiting for him to return. Now we wait with anticipation for his second coming. I wonder, how well are you waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? If you have your Bibles open with me to Luke chapter 12, we'll be studying today verses 35 through 48, the passage Tony just read for us. And we'll look at this idea of the anticipation of faith that is required of Christians today. We've been working through this book of Luke as a church, and since chapter 9, Jesus had turned his face and set it towards Jerusalem. He'd been traveling, and he'd begun teaching to his disciples as he prepares to get to Jerusalem and die. Jesus is preparing to leave, and yet already we see today that he's emphasizing that he's going to be coming back. To believers, this text is a call to wait with faithful anticipation. That's the driving force of the text today. Wait faithfully for Jesus with anticipation. You might ask, how do we do that? How should we as Christians wait for Christ? This section of scripture tells us how your life should look if you're doing that. It emphasizes three aspects of our waiting, our posture, our practice, and our prize. Number one, the posture of our waiting. That's what we see in the text first. The posture of our waiting. Look at the first half of the passage in verse 35. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to him, to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes at the second watch or in the third and, and finds them awake, blessed are those Servants, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Notice here, Jesus gives us four different illustrations. He walks through four different word pictures to make this expectancy in our heart for his return just come to life for us. All four of these illustrations are just driving at the same point. They're all pointing to this same reality. That is, be ready. Be awake. This is your posture as you wait. Be spiritually alert for Jesus Christ. Look at the first illustration. The image is a bit hidden in the ESV translation here. We see it in verse 35, stay dressed for action. Now, uh, that's certainly what these words mean. It's a good translation. But literally, the language that Jesus uses is to gird up your loins. So obviously we can see why the ESV chose stay dressed for action. It's not very understandable in our day. It sounds a bit archaic. 
What does it mean? The, the image was of the long robes that would be worn in ancient Palestine. So there was this long tunic that would be worn, and it would be just ideal for reclining or, or relaxing. It wasn't made for active labor. It wasn't made for fighting a battle. And so to leave the tunic down meant that you weren't very agile. If you were going to go to work, or if you were going to go to war, you would need to, to just reach down and grab the tunic and, and tie it around your waist. And this is what it literally meant to gird up your loins. You would then be dressed and, and ready, ready not to recline, but ready for action. Jesus says, this is your posture. Or look at the second illustration. Keep your lamps burning, verse 35. So ancient Palestine uh, didn't have electricity like we do. Uh, many would go to bed when the sun went down. But if you were to be the one standing guard or, or staying up for some reason, well, then you would need to purchase oil for your lamp so that you could keep your lamps burning in the night so that you could see what's around you. The picture is that it's night outside. The world around us is, is going to sleep. The world around you is dark. The disciples, they're to be awake and alert. Not settling in for sleep, but being up and awake while others around them are sleeping. Or third illustration, look at the text. Jesus next imagines a man who leaves for a wedding. Now a wedding in that culture was no short affair. So it could take days, it could last late into the night. The point is that the homeowner, the master of the house, well, he's, he's gone. And good servants were to wait by the gate, to open up the gate, to, to let him in and welcome him. And Jewish or Roman as well, cultures were, were split up, they'd split up the evening into segments, into watches of the night. So the second or third watch of the night that you see there in, in verse 38, well, that would be the middle of the night. That would be past when people would normally go to bed. A good servant, even though others around him were, were going to sleep, would stay up and watch for the master. They would be awake and ready. Notice in this illustration, Jesus is acknowledging that he will leave. He's the master of the house who's in charge. He's the one that's leaving. Notice he's acknowledging it might feel like it's been a long time. It will be in the second or the third watch of the night. But even though he's leaving, even though he's gone for some time, his followers are to, to stay awake. They're to be ready when he comes. The servants should be those who are there to greet him, ready when he returns. And there's a fourth illustration down there in, in verse 39 in the text. This one shifts the roles and talks about a homeowner and a thief. So the trade of a thief is what Jesus is wanting to relate to here. It's not, like, it's not saying that his return will be evil like a thief. No, it's saying that it will be unexpected, like a thief's entrance. Now, I can think of a, a couple times in uh, my life, our life together, when we've been robbed or stolen from. 
or I can think of friends that we've had that have had houses that are broken into. Now, this might seem obvious here, but every time someone has stolen from us, it's never really been planned by me. Like, I mean, that's basic robbery 101. The, the enterprise is one of surprise, right? It's not like uh, the job of being a, a plumber or a dentist. You get out your scheduler and say, all right, next Tuesday at two o'clock, we'll have your robbery. No, uh, it's, it's just not how it works. It's what makes this illustration powerful. Thieves come unannounced. Jesus didn't, it just says if they didn't, you'd be sitting there waiting at the door for them. No, thieves come at an unexpected time. So Jesus is saying, you won't be able to change your course at the moment of his return. By the time you see him, it will be too late. Either you'll have made preparations in advance or you'll be caught. Either you'll be alert and ready or you'll be unprepared. Either you'll be awake and, and looking for him or you'll be asleep, you'll be drowsy. Now, all four of these illustrations are pointing at that same point. They're all culminating the same theme which he summarizes down in verse 40. He says, you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here is the posture of true Christians. Waiting for the return of Christ, we are awake and alert. We are actively waiting. We are not sleeping. What does this mean? What does it look like in your life to be awake for the coming of Christ? I mean, you could just think of being awake or asleep physically. Uh, perhaps if any of you have draw, driven long distances at night, you know the horrible risk of falling asleep at the wheel. Unfortunately, it happens to many people. Get, drift, get drowsy, they drift off, and they run their car into oncoming traffic. For them, physically, to be asleep means they are just unaware and unresponsive to the extraordinary reality bearing down on them as they drift off into traffic. Well, friends, to be spiritually asleep, to be spiritually asleep in this short time in view of eternity before Jesus comes back, well, that's to be unaware and unresponsive of the extraordinary reality bearing down on us. To be awake is to be aware of it, to be responsive to it. It's living with, with an honest estimation of the return of Jesus Christ. It's walking through your days and your hours and your minutes, not forgetful of the reality of the living God. As someone who's living constantly mindful of his imminent return. This is why the, the, Testament just, the New Testament talks so much about being awake and sober-minded throughout, throughout the New Testament. Friends, I wonder, do you see clearly the spiritual reality of the world you're living in? 
Do you work to see your sin clearly? Do you keep a fresh grasp on the glory of your creator, what his glory demands of you? Do you keep your eyes wide open to the, to the living God and the fact that inevitably, in a very short time, you will stand before him? Everyone in this room, if you can hear the sound of my voice right now, in a very short time, you will stand before God. Now, you could be in denial of that if you want. You can act like that won't happen. You, will, you can compartmentalize your life and just try to think about other things. But what God has said very clearly in his word is that all of us will stand before him. So are you spiritually drowsy? Is, is more of your attention, your, your zeal, your, your frustrations in your day, your thoughts, is more of that given to the passing realities of your life rather than the eternal realities of everything around you? I think Timothy Keller explains this well when he says, what does it mean to be awake spiritually? He says it means to let the eternal realities affect us more than the temporary ones. So let me offer some practical suggestions for you. If you struggle with this, spiritual drowsiness, first of all, friends, commit yourselves to prayer. Your prayer life is a thermometer which shows the heat of your faith in God. But also, your prayer life is a thermostat which can raise the heat of your faith in God. It's no wonder that in Ephesians 6, Paul connects prayer with staying alert. See, a prayerless life or prayerless day in your day this week is a day that your living lights out to the reality of the living God. A second application. If you struggle to stay awake to eternal spiritual realities, you should keep yourself in true Christian community. You should make this a, a priority of your life. And now, I'm not talking here about having Christian friends. I mean, that's good. You should have Christian friends. But I'm talking here about having Christian friends who regularly have real and honest and genuine conversations with you about your spiritual life. I mean, do you go to that level with others? Conversations where you can just admit any drowsiness that you're facing in your life? Conversations that allow others to get into the nitty-gritty of your life? The real struggles and the, the pitch points? You know, uh, one of our morning classes is working through the Pilgrim's Progress at 9 o'clock. And there's this great place in, in the story. If you, if you don't know the story, it's about, uh, it's an allegory of, a Christ, of the main character, Christian, who's on a journey through the Christian life to heaven. And he's a traveler, he's a pilgrim. And there's this place in his journey where he has a discussion with his traveling companion, who's named Hopeful. Bunyan writes this, he says, they went until they came into a certain country whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy when a stranger would enter into it. And here Hopeful, who's Christian's companion, uh, began to get very dull and heavy of sleep. 
And so he said to Christian, I now begin to grow so drowsy that I can scarcely hold my eyes open. Let us lay down here and take a nap. A nap on their journey to heaven. Christian says, by no means, lest sleeping, we never awake the more. Well, Hopeful says, well, why not, brother? Sleep is sweet to the laboring man. We may be refreshed if we take a nap. Christian says, don't you remember that one of the, the shepherds bid us beware of the enchanted ground? He meant that we should be beware of sleeping so that we would not sleep as others, but rather be watchful and sober in this journey. Hopeful, listen to what Hopeful says. So here Christian is telling him, don't stop on your journey. Keep going. Keep walking down the road to heaven. And Hopeful turns to him after this encouragement, being roused to stay awake, and he says, oh, I acknowledge myself in fault. And if I had been here alone, by sleeping, I would have run the danger of death. I see it's true that the wise man said, two are better than one. Friends, if you don't want to fall asleep in this journey, don't travel alone. We stay awake by staying in true Christian community with each other, with others that are there to catch us when we start to forget the realities of the world we're in and are there to wake us up day after day after day. If you're here as a member of this church, that's what your job is for other members here. Your job is to keep others walking faithfully towards heaven, making sure that they make it and they don't stop and fall asleep along the way. And if you're here today and you're not a member of a local church, well, you need to join a local church, whether this one or another one. You need to commit yourself to those who will promise to guard you from falling asleep. You should be afraid to be alone on this journey. Let's continue. How should Christians wait for the coming of Christ? We've seen the posture of our waiting. Look at the second half of the passage. We see there the, the practice of our waiting. Number two, the practice of our waiting. There, while Jesus is teaching, uh, Peter pauses and in verse 41 asks Jesus a clarifying question. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all. So for us would be the disciples. Are you talking to the disciples here? Or are you talking to everyone? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that master says to himself, my master... But that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. The one who did not know and who did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, 
they will demand the more. Jesus had been there teaching all of the people. He was teaching the disciples specifically at times, the crowds at times. Peter wants to clarify, who are you talking to? And notice, Jesus doesn't answer him directly. He answers him with a parable. And the point of the parable is that all will be held accountable as stewards to what God has given us, but especially those who are in positions of authority. That's his answer. Everyone will be held accountable when the master gets back, but especially those who are in authority. Uh, You can see in the text, there's this theme throughout of us expected to be using the, the master's resources to serve others. So his answer is, yes to you, also to everyone. Jesus compares us to servants waiting for his return. And we are to uh, wait, we are to have the practice of waiting as we obey faithfully. That's the theme of this passage. Do you see it in the text? You can look down at verse 42. We're to be the faithful and wise manager who actively cares for the household. Verse 43, we're to be found doing so, that is, serving. Down to verse 47, we're not to be found not acting according to his will. So we wait for the master by obeying faithfully. Now, in this story, you, you might have noticed there's four different types of, of servants that are in this home. The master leaves, he comes back, and there's almost four different categories of this obedience or this lack of obedience that he finds. The, the worst kind of servant that he comes back and finds is there in verse 45. It's the servant who abuses his authority and uses the Lord's absence as a license for self-centeredness. Did you see it there? This is, this is particularly evil in Christ's sight. This is the dad who claims to be a Christian, but instead of serving his home, he uses his home to set up his own kingdom as himself a king in the home. This is the mom whose lack of grace, she verbally beats her children, forgetting that Christ is at hand. This is the pastor who who uses his position to benefit himself chiefly, rather than to preserve the church. Do you see it in verse 45? This abuse of, of a stewardship and this self-centered consumption is eating and drinking and getting drunk with what's really belonging to the master. Friends, I wonder, what position of authority are you in? What, what stewardship has God entrusted to you? Are you a, a boss or a manager at work? You an Awana teacher in our church? Or a husband or a father? Are you an elder? Or maybe your stewardship that you have is, is merely being a Christian, someone who stewards the message of the gospel to others. Jesus expects you to use what you have and your authority and your resources not to serve yourself, but to serve as he would 
over his household, to serve what belongs to him in, in such a way that if Jesus were to come back and see what you're saying to your wife or see what you're saying to your child or those around you at any time, that he would approve of every word. That he would say, yes, that, that servant who I left here with my resources, they're speaking on my behalf rightly. Friends, this is true just even for our church today. We should have elders and pastors who aspire to this office and use their authority carefully for the good of this church. I imagine just in this room, church family, I imagine there's several of you, younger men or, or men at large, who one day aspire to be an elder. In fact, I think there should be more of those. I hope there are more people in our church that are aspiring to, to the role of eldership across our body. Well, this passage should, should sober you. It should sober us as leaders that we would want to use our authority carefully on behalf of the master, behalf of the king. Well, to this, this servant, so you picture again, this, this master's left the house, he comes back, he finds this abuse, he finds this, this use of his resources being used selfishly, the punishment, it's hard to read. Look at verse 46. We see the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Now, cut into pieces is a mild way of describing the judgment that our sin deserves. It's a soft way of saying the punishment that myths representing this king and his authority will bring. I mean, we're here as 21st century Christians and we read a passage like this and it's offensive to us. How could scripture say this? The king's coming back and he's going to cut into pieces. Let me just assure you from what Jesus says more than anyone else, this punishment, when we understand the sheer perfection of our holy God, oh, will be much worse than this for those of us that sin against this God. Sin against an infinitely good God demands infinite punishment. And if you don't believe that, you haven't thought well about how perfectly good God is in his holiness to need to respond to evil and sin. Notice there are other verse, uh, groups mentioned. We won't spend time on them. Verse 29 mentions those who might not be as flagrant in their abuse of others, but they're still not getting ready for the king. Or in verse 30, 48, there's a group that uh, might be ignorant about his return, but they still disobeyed. Jesus says all of these, all will be held to account when the master returns. Friends, if you're here today and you're a visitor, I just acknowledge this is a, a hard message to hear from scripture. I'm guessing that this doctrine of the judgment of God for 
for offenses against God is just hard to stomach. But the Bible teaches that we are created by God and we are therefore accountable to him. Relative ignorance is no excuse for disobedience to God. Our shock at the severity of this just shows us that we don't understand him rightly. But the good news, friends, the, the gloriously good news of the gospel is that despite our disobedience, despite the punishment that we do truly deserve, Jesus Christ died in our place. He took that punishment for us. Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. Jesus was cast out on our behalf so that we could be brought in. Jesus was, as one commentator says, he was cut into pieces so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus Christ was the one who was put with the unfaithful so that we could be put with the faithful. He was the one that received a severe beating so that we would receive nothing, only the goodness that he deserved. Let me encourage you to look to the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on your behalf. If this is a new message to you, if this is the first time you're hearing just the offense of your sin, and yet how good it is that Jesus would take that offense, that punishment on himself, let me encourage you, don't leave here today without talking to someone about it. Find someone at the door or, or someone, one of the members here today that can tell you about this good message of the gospel. Friends, we wait for Jesus' return like a faithful servant. Look at verse 43. He says, blessed is that servant whom when the master comes finds so doing when he comes. I wonder, church, does that describe us? If Jesus came now, do our lives show faithful obedience? There's a, a famous pastor and theologian, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Perhaps you've heard his name before. Uh, at the age of 19, Jonathan Edwards was caught up in the reality of the living God, according to Scripture. And so at 19 years old, he, he made a list of 70 resolutions for how he would live his life. And uh, the resolutions just show how seriously he took the reality of God that we see in the text of Scripture. Listen to one of them. He says, I resolve that I will live as I shall wish I would have lived when I come to die. Or, listen to this one. This is one of my favorites. Verse, uh, it's number 19. He says, Resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if I knew it was the last hour before I would hear the trumpet call of Jesus Christ. Friends, what if Jesus were to come back within the hour? What would you do and not do? How would your faithful obedience to him change if you knew he was that close? Jesus says, be a faithful servant and the reward will be great in the kingdom. He concludes with verse 48, reminding us that to, much, to whom much was given, much will be required and to those to whom he entrusted much, they will, he will, they will demand the more. Be a great lunch conversation. Just consider with someone today, what has God entrusted to you? Time, finances, friendships, authority. What will he demand from you because of what he's entrusted to you? 
what we should conclude. Jesus is pointing us to look forward to his coming. As Christians, we wait with a posture of being awake. As Christians, we wait with the practice of faithful obedience. Let me just close with a third point. Consider, thirdly, the prize of our waiting. The prize. I wonder if you caught the sheer immensity of verse 37. Look back up there. Look at, listen to how Jesus describes what will happen after he returns. He says this in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Do you want to know how to live awake and faithfully obedient? Do you want to know where the motivation for this type of living comes from? Look at this promise here of future grace. It's staggering. Jesus says he will dress himself. Now, do you, know, do you want to know what those words mean if it wasn't the SV? Translated literally, the sentence is, he will gird himself up for service. Now, we've seen that language before with the servant. But here, the master will take the position of the servant. The master is going to reverse the roles. He's going to pull up his tunic so that he can go to work for eternity. He's going to invite you, the servant, to come recline at the table of the master. And he will gird up his loins and he will give himself to you and to serving you. Friends, here is the glory of the future that awaits you in Jesus Christ. Christ, here, he's devoting all of his power, all of his excellencies, all of his glory, all of his fellowship with the Father, he's devoting all of it, he's leveraging it all to invite you in to experience his eternal joy at his table. He's going to leverage his divine authority to come to you and to serve you. This one whom, whom Hebrews says is the one that upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's going to use that power to allow you to recline with him at the table. This is what Jesus does. This is why we read later in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine the pleasures that await you at that table? We wait with anticipation for Christ because we realize the prize of our waiting is that we get Christ. His excellencies, his perfection of joy and pleasure, all of those pleasure sensors that the Lord has given you in this world, meant to be a shadow of a greater reality in the world to come. Imagine what that must be like. 
Beloved, if this is the Christ that will one day give himself for us, for our eternal joy, how could we not wait for him? How could we not live waiting at the gate for that master to walk through the door? And so we say together, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, as your church, long for the day that we will see King Jesus. We long for the day when he will return. Father, we long to be found faithful for that day. We long to be awake and faithfully obeying, stewarding all that you've given us for his glory and his good. Father, we long for that day when you invite us to recline at the table with you and to enjoy you for eternity future. We pray, oh Jesus, we pray, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. We're ready. We pray this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.